We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I'm Julia Plugge with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. And I'm Michaela Ray with the National Wild Turkey Federation. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Welcome to season two of She Goes Outdoors. As we get started here on season two, we've got a lot of new guest speakers, new co-hosts, so we're changing things up a bit for 2020. Um, and I'm super excited today because we have two brand new people to the podcast who have never been on before. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like to be a student in the outdoor industry, in particular, two individuals who are in grad school working on projects related to the outdoor industry. These two students are really pertinent to what we've been talking about lately because, one, we've got Catherine Graham on, and she is talking about hunting and memberships to conservation organizations. So I'll let her explain more about that. And then we've also got Iris McFarlane on. And Iris is going to talk to us a little bit about foraging. What's super excited to have both of these ladies on. Welcome to you both. Thanks for taking time out of your day to chat with me. And we'll go ahead and kick this conversation off. So Catherine, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? All right. Yeah. Thanks for inviting us to come on. It's a fun, I've never well, I've been on one other podcast, but it's a fun thing to do. Introduce myself. So I'm Katherine Graham. I'm a first year PhD student at University of Nebraska. I also actually got my master's at University of Nebraska, which ended last December and then started my PhD in January. Um, so I kind of came to the program a weird it's getting more normal, but kind of a weird route. I started off in my undergrad with a political science degree and did some sociology stuff, which, yeah, it's really random to get to wildlife, but I've always loved like being outdoors. I've hunted with my dad my whole life. When I got to be a junior or senior, I was like, you know, this, I want to be a lawyer. I thought this lawyer thing, just oh, interesting. firm all day, doesn't sound up my alley. Knew I wanted to work with the environment. So ended up reaching out to Chris. Um, I did a little bit of research, social research at my undergrad institution and really loved that. So reached out to Chris and he was like, yeah, we actually, um, our lab, surveys and does research on hunters and anglers and other outdoor recreationists, which I had no idea was even a thing. Was just so intrigued, absolutely fell in love with it, and that's how I ended up here in Nebraska. That's awesome. For those of you that have listened in a little bit before, you'll also know that my route to the outdoors, specifically hunting and shooting sports is not traditional, uh, neither is Julia's, and we have some co-hosts who live in Kansas and Iowa, and they also kind of have untraditional backgrounds. So, I guess it doesn't matter how you get to the outdoors as long as you find us. So Iris, what about you? Tell us about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us here. I grew up in Southwest Iowa, just kind of loving the outdoors and always had a huge passion for animals. For a long time, everyone told me that I should be a veterinarian. And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when it came time for uh, my undergrad, I actually started to think about that more. Um, but I wasn't really sure if that was the route I wanted. I was more interested in wildlife. So I got my undergrad at Iowa State University in animal ecology, uh, which is a really neat program there that's um, 
yeah, it's focused on fisheries, but there's also captive wildlife care programs. And that, that was the route I took. Very cool. um, and then afterwards, I thought I kind of wanted to go straight into grad school. Um, but as senior year rolled around, I was a little bit burnt out <laughs> um, and just needed a break. So I took two years off and just worked and did a variety of random different jobs during those two years. And then decided I really missed academia and wanted to come back and get my master's degree. So I started looking around and uh, human dimensions was something I had done a little bit of in my undergrad as a research assistant and it was really interesting to me. So I just was looking around at schools that had programs in human dimensions and Nebraska Lincoln came up. Um, my husband was also looking at this school so it was kind of a nice fit that we both had programs there. Um, and the more I looked the more Nebraska Lincoln kind of stood out to me actually. They have a really good human dimensions program. So yeah, I reached out to some people in the field, got connected with Jenny Dower and Chris Chazinski who are my um, co-advisors. Um, and yeah, so I'm in my second year now. Cool. So since we're talking academia, there might be some terminology that our listeners aren't familiar with. Um, and one of the words that you already said, which I know what it is, but others might not, is human dimensions. Can one of you explain to us what human dimensions is? Yeah, and I can start in the Iris if you want to jump in and add stuff, that'd be good. Um, so human dimensions is a field which is relatively new when you think of wildlife management as a field in general, but it is the study of people and how they interact with wildlife, how they value wildlife, their attitudes towards wildlife, and then also how wildlife interact with humans and how that affects all different sorts of things. So really it's, if you think of wildlife management as a, of having like different dimensions, so a habitat dimension or a population dimension, which is like the actual animals themselves, the third human dimension is what the human dimensions of wildlife focuses on. Very cool. I want to hear a little bit about your projects because I think they're pretty interesting and I think our guests would find them interesting too. And Catherine, we're going to start with you because some of our listeners actually just received um, their first outdoor subscription box that I mentioned to you guys before we got started today where they could learn how to pheasant hunt this fall. And along with that box and some of the gear inside the box, they received a Pheasants Forever membership um, when they purchased uh, this cool new thing. And so it's kind of relevant to chat a little bit about um, your project. And, you know, since these ladies that purchased the box have a Pheasants Forever membership, tell us kind of how your project plays into conservation organizations and hunting avidity and memberships and stuff along those lines. For sure. So to really get into my project, I'm going to kind of start with my master's project, um, which is how this PhD project came to be. Um, so in my master's program, again, here at UNL, we focused on waterfowl hunters specifically, and we were looking at different participation measures, looking at what people in the population are more likely to stick around, which are not, um, kind of testing some assumptions that we have about the waterfowl hunting population. So we found a bunch of stuff, but really the most interesting thing was that individuals who hunt, but also participated in a conservation organization. So for waterfowl hunters, we were focused on Ducks Unlimited. That's not the only organization. That was just who we were right. working with. We found that, yeah, those individuals who participate in DU and also waterfowl hunt were so much more likely to hunt in the long term. So if we think of like retention probability, so the, the chance that people are staying hunting every year, it was like 95% of the people had a probability of staying for people in organizations compared, I think it was 
maybe 90 for males, male hunters, for people who weren't an organization. So that's a pretty big jump. Yeah. So we, even though we saw that these people were so much more avid and active, um, when we looked at how many people were participating, a very small proportion of the waterfowl hunting population is actually in a conservation organization. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, so estimates, um, it depended on the state and it depended on some method stuff, so matching, but anywhere from like 10 to 40% of the population was in a conservation organization. So nowhere near the majority. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where my master or my PhD project came is we were really interested in why are so few hunters, even though, I mean, lots of research shows that hunters have a conservation ethic and are really worried about conservation. So why are so few of these hunters participating in conservation organizations? And then that difference gets exacerbated even more if we look at like women that are hunting. Um, there are so few in Ducks Unlimited specifically. Um, it's a very male dominated organization. So why is that the case? Um, and that is a big question for my PhD. So we're working with Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, National Wild Turkey Federation, and trying to um, come up with a survey instrument so we can reach out to people who have who hunt or do another outdoor rec but have never been in a conservation organization to see what it is that's maybe keeping individuals out is it they just have never heard of the organization is it they don't feel comfortable being in the organization are there certain things that organizations can do to make the organization more amenable for other people or to make it easier to join um kind of all over the board, what organizations want to be there for people to join so that they can do the good they're trying to do. So really focused on how, yeah, how we can improve the organization and the relationship with members. Yeah, very cool. And I know for me too, once I started getting involved in hunting specifically, I started learning about the conservation organizations and their mission and what they do. And although they're similar, they all have their independent projects. And so um, a lot of our listeners might find that joining a conservation organization is something for them because it does provide some social support, some new techniques and ideas, and your project will be super interesting. Have you guys learned anything about so far about like the top benefits? If our listeners are thinking about joining a conservation organization, what are some of the benefits that they might see out of that? So we haven't asked people specifically yet. That's part of the survey as well. We want to figure out people who are in the organization and who volunteer. They have a lot of time um, and also money. What is it that's keeping people around? But looking at some of the other literature, there's a few things that come up, um, but really it's that idea of like social support. So when you join an organization, so I know for me, like when I was an undergrad, I didn't know anyone else who participated in hunting or fishing, anybody else who did outdoor rec. So even though I love to do it, it was really hard to want to go do it by myself. Even though now I'm like, heck, why wasn't I doing it by myself the whole time? But it's really I'm hard a social to do it. Hunter for sure. Yeah. Uh, really hard to go do it by myself. So if I would have been in an organization or now being in an organization, there's so many people you could reach out to to go with. There's tons of workshops, um, hunting opportunities, like weekends. I know Becoming Outdoors Women does some like weekends away that you can go yeah. and meet a bunch of people. And then you've got kind of like a built-in group of not only friends, but people you can participate in the activity with. So that it's called the social habitat and the literature animals, you know, have certain habitat. There's a nice social habitat for hunters that keep people participating because it's not only doing what you love, but you're with people that you enjoy being around. You're all doing things together. Um, so that's the biggest, again, we're going to ask for sure and see if there's other things, but that, that's the biggest thing or the biggest thing I hypothesize being um, what keeps 
what keeps hunters in once they join an organization. Very cool. So when do you think your project will wrap up? When will you be able to share your results? How long will the process be? Um, it depends on survey development. Survey development takes quite a while. The project end date, it has to be done by 2024, but we're starting development right now. So probably through the next six months, we'll be developing a survey and then we'll put it up. And then probably by the end of the year or maybe a year and a half, we'll start having respondents um, and we can start analyzing data from them. Very cool. Well, I think for all of our listeners out there, this will be a cool survey to learn about and read the results because like I said a lot of the people that we're talking to might not have a membership to a conservation organization and maybe this will spark that a little bit and get them thinking about some of the benefits and how it could be a positive thing to add to their hunting pursuits. So very cool. Thanks. So Iris, your project, although we're not hunting for animals, we are foraging, which is another mm -hmm. version of hunting. And um, earlier this spring, we actually had a whole podcast on looking for morel mushrooms, specifically and some other generic foraging things. So I'm excited to bring that back to the table and hear a little bit about what you're working on. Yeah, sort of a different type of hunting, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe less chasing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so when I came into grad school, I um, didn't apply on any specific grant or anything like that. Um, so it was kind of open to me what I wanted to study. And uh, as I was reading through the literature, I was just noticing some new research on foraging. And that's not something I really grew up doing, or at least I didn't realize I was doing it. I think I was doing it more than I was being cognizant about what I was doing. You know, I'd pick mulberries or wild raspberries, wild mint, stuff like that. But I didn't really think of it as foraging at the time, yeah. even though it was. And so then I started digging into the research a little bit and it just seems like there's quite a big gap in the research in the central US. So people are starting to study this on both of the coasts, specifically in the Pacific Northwest um, and like around Seattle, a lot of urban foraging research is being done, but there's really nothing here for the central U.S. But I know people forage here, right? Lots of people go out hunting morels every season or other mushrooms, chicken of the woods, and there's just tons of things you can forage around here. With that in mind, it was kind of open to me. <laughs> there's basically nothing done here. So what I'm focusing on is basically just the very beginning of trying to get an understanding of who is foraging and kind of the main behaviors. So like what motivates people to forage? Why do they like to forage? They don't forage. Why may they not do that? And what's keeping them from that? When they go out, what kinds of things are they gathering? What are they harvesting? Where are they going? Not specific places, because I know, you know, you can get a little protective about where you your honey hole. Yeah. Is a subject. <laughs> no one wants to share where the gold mines are. Yeah. <laughs> but more in a sense of like, are you gathering on your friend's land or your own land or do you cool. go to a park and gather or a forest so yeah just kind of getting a basic idea of who's participating in this and what are they doing and and yeah what motivates them to get into that and then I think from there you can do all sorts of other cool things that are um, similar to even what Catherine's doing start talking about conservation organizations or other activities they also participate in. But yeah, just kind of getting the basics here for my project. 
Very cool. Yeah, I think it would be really interesting to see um, the correlation between hunters and foragers. And if they do both at the same time, you know, do you happen to stumble across things when you're out in the field hunting? Outside of your research projects, I'm curious to know uh, what both of you enjoy doing in the outdoors. So is there any particular outdoor activity that you guys really enjoy doing specifically in the fall? Like just being outside in general, especially right now with everything that's going on (laughs) is is amazing. Um, since I've been back in grad school, especially when we're home all the time, I've been able to get out and get hunting a lot more than I had in undergrad. So that's been great. Um, I haven't been out. I was hoping to get out for doves this season. Haven't been out, but two month break this year from classes. So I'm going to go home for at least rifle season. And that's what I really, I like to get home with family. We love to hunt, love to fish whenever we get a chance. I've got two giant dogs. So they like not very long hikes, but they like to go on some scenic hikes that are short that have lots of rabbits and squirrels that they can hunt themselves. <laughs> very cool. What about you, Iris? What's your favorite fall outdoor activity? Um, I feel like what I do most is hiking and camping. So yeah, lots of hiking around here. I also have a couple dogs that are pretty adventurous and they like coming with. Is that a favorite Nebraska spot since you've moved here? Uh, We haven't gone very far outside of Lincoln. I think Indian Caves has been on the list for a while, but we actually haven't made it down, but I've heard really great things about it. Um, For Lincoln area, uh, we go to Pioneers Park a lot because there's some really great back trails that are just a little bit off the beaten path that are really nice. Um, So that's probably our favorite park around the Lincoln area. I know in Iowa, because I lived in Southwest Iowa, so just right across from Omaha, um, there was a really nice set of trails I think it's called the Lewis and Clark Memorial or something yeah. like that. Um, I don't know if they're still kept up, but that was a really nice set of trails up there too along the bluffs. And you can look over into Nebraska and it's, it's really pretty in the fall. Very cool. Yeah, and we do have a fairly strong listening base um, from Iowa because we recently added some co-hosts from the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. So our podcast is expanding. So uh, between Iowa, Kansas, and Nebraska, we've got people listening from all over. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you both coming on and sharing your projects. I think sometimes we forget about the research that goes behind all of the fun stuff that we do and that there's people out there who are striving to keep conservation alive, keep people in the field, and so projects like this are super important as we think about the future of hunting and shooting sports and all outdoor activities. And specifically, I really I want to remind everybody about those outdoor subscription boxes that we have going on right now, because those are a great opportunity to introduce yourselves to some new outdoor skills and topics. And uh, we're really excited to share that with everybody. Catherine and Iris, thank you for joining us in the outdoors today. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, no problem. Enjoy the rest to your day. Before I sign off, I did want to tell our She Goes Outdoor listeners that this is my last podcast with She Goes Outdoors. Uh, I will be moving on to some new adventures, but no fear, you still have all of your other co-hosts hanging out, Julia and Megan and Tana and Rachel, excited to keep the She Goes Outdoors train moving. So thank you to all of our great listeners for helping us get this podcast off the ground over the last year and uh, share our outdoor pursuits with everybody. Don't forget to follow She Goes Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. Use those as opportunities to talk with other people about foraging, hunting, and any other outdoor activities that you enjoy. We've also got our new website up and going at 
sgooutdoors.com and be sure to sign up for our next outdoor subscription box, be it birding this winter or the foraging and Dutch oven box coming up this spring. Thanks for joining us and we hope to see you all in the outdoors. <laughs> <laughs>